today's scripture reading is on page 832 in your Red Pew Bible, and it's from Philippians 3, verses 12 to 21. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal, winning the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature, should take a view, such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you who have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is in their stomach, and their glory is their shame. But their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Okay, there it is. Good morning. So, they gave me a month to prepare, which is a mistake. Um, what I learned over the course of the month is that my mind changes so much as to what to say and what not to say and all of those things. And I realized that with all these different ideas and not knowing what to do, and it being November, this is the month of Thanksgiving. So you get to go up and get a little bit of all the different stuff. So I thought, instead of just focusing on one part of today's passage, I'd just do a cursory overview of the whole thing. Because as we know, I don't do the deep dives, I skim across the top. So I thought, uh, every time I was thinking about things, I, I thought, well, I can't do that. That might offend this guy or that guy. Which is kind of funny, because I am so opposed to that thinking. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I know, he's working, he's, he's working. So, then I thought, well, if you're going to offend them, offend them in a way that would offend you. I have always felt that Bible translations are important, and which translation you listen to is really important, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, I've said it a couple times recently, but I actually have gotten to not just read the translations, but the paraphrases as well, such as the message. So I'm going to start out today by reading um, the message. 
And what the message says is Philippians 3, 12 to 21. Originally, I was told I was doing 15 to 21, but 15 starts with a therefore anyways. And then when I saw that we were doing 12 to 21 today, I said, that's perfect. So this is the message. And it's, again, it's a paraphrase. I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made, but I am well on my way reaching out for Christ, who has so wonderfully reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us, if any of you has, have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now, now, or sorry, now that we're on track, let's stay on it. Stick with me, friends. Keep track of those you see running the same course, headed for the same goal. There are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals, and trying to get you to go along with them. I've warned you of them many times. Sadly, I'm having to do it again. All they want is easy street. They hate Christ's cross. Uh, they, those who live... <coughs> those who live there, there make their bellies their gods. Belches are their praise, and all they can think is their appetites. But there's far more to life for us. We're citizens of high heaven. We're waiting the arrival of the Savior, the Master, Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful school uh, skill by which he is putting everything as it should be under and around him. So with that being said, I just thought I would start out by confirming what verses 12 says. I'm not there yet. So understand as I'm talking to you today, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I am far from the goal. But I'm working on it. Romans 7, 19, uh, excuse me, Romans 7, 19 uh, is a piece that I have been reading recently and uh, it really describes where I sit with my walk and it's great for me to see that Paul sat there at the same time. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. And so I'm not there yet, but I am working on it. It says we're citizens of the high heaven. <laughs> We've all know what it's like to be a citizen of the United States. And I think everybody in the room is a natural born citizen. That means just by your birth you became a citizen of the United States. But this passage says something beyond that. It says, it says, and I quote, um, Christ who has I'm reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. You've been chosen. You've been selected to be a citizen of the high heaven. That's a powerful thing and a great thing. So, then it talks about the goal that's set before us. And the goal is total commitment. What's the difference between a goal and a dream? Action steps. 
Right, Lorna? Work. Right? All of us have dreams. I, I wish I was a rich guy. That doesn't mean I'm going to stop spending my money and start working hard. It's just a dream. Right? But if it's a goal, you're going to work for it. Paul says that the goal is total commitment. Jesus said it this way. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus said the goal is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Total commitment. It then talks about fellowship, sticking together. And I thought, how important is that? Why is that so important? Well, what's important is that we fellowship, that we go to church together, that we show up. I have two examples that come to mind over the course of this month. Rand, I don't know why, but I keep picking on you this month. Um, Rand this month went out and rode his motorcycle with a bunch of other guys who ride their motorcycles. And I thought about that. You're on a vehicle that's designed for individuality. It's just you. It's loud noises. You can't talk to anybody else. But they all go out together because they're of a like mind. Because they know they're not alone. Because they know that they're working towards the next stop together. The other one that's just like that is AA meetings. Why do you go? Because you're fighting the demon that you know you can't fight alone. And there's other people there who understand. They get it. They feel the same way. And you're supporting each other, even on the weeks where you don't say anything. Just by showing up, you're supporting each other. So we have to stick together. We have to be here together. It's really important. Remember, you are not alone. We, all, we, we then get to the passage that talks about the people who live for the world. They hate, they hate the cross of Christ. They love the appetites of their bellies. So do I. <laughs> right? Um, and we all know people like this. Let's face it. We all are people like this. There are times where this is a problem. But we are citizens of the high heaven. We are forgiven. We're working towards the goal. And how important is that? So then we get to the citizenship. And the citizenship, as I said, we're all together. So to sum it all up, what's the goal? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Total commitment. To stick together. Right? Church is important. Fellowship is important. And remember, you are not alone. And finally, that we're, you're a citizen of heaven. And as a citizen of heaven, there's a lot of guys. I heard Dave talking earlier about that sweatshirt and the American flag on it, right? As a citizen of the United States, we all know we fly our flags. We show up on Memorial Day or Veterans Day or Fourth of July or whatever. Somebody bombs our country or hurts one of us, our backs get up. We understand all of that, and all of that is good, right? If you're, if you're Rand, 
on your with your motorcycle buddy, you're probably going to get a tattoo that says Harley Davidson. Right? Right? That's okay. Here's the thing. All of those things are nice. God doesn't judge the outside. God judges the inside. So where's your heart? That's what matters. That brings me to the final piece. Basically, as a citizen, all we're asked to do is to be salt, be light, be stars shining in the universe, right? There you go. I didn't say it the way she says it. I'm sorry. You know, but Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5. You, when I read that this morning, you, it's talking to you, it's talking to me. Everyone hear that. Don't hear that as us. Hear that as you are the light of the world. A city is not, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. Represent God in a way so that you can show your total commitment. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you and praise you for this opportunity, for this opportunity to gather together, for this opportunity to be the shining star in the universe that you want us to be. Help us with our total commitment. Help us to stick together and help us to always remember when we fall short, we are citizens of yours. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we crown you with many crowns. We know that you are worthy of all honor and glory. We pray that you will be honored and glorified today. In your name, amen. Okay, so I realize not everybody here uses computers and smartphones, but a lot of us do, and sometimes they make good analogies for things. So um, how many people here have ever had your, say, your phone decide to upgrade all of a sudden to a new operating system? Do you like it when that happens? Why not? Yep, you have to wait. What's that? What are they upgrading? Okay, you don't know what they're upgrading it to. Usually there's some fine print somewhere that it will tell you kind of what's happening, but um, it's never at a good time. Okay, but does it, when you get the upgrade of your phone or your computer, does it make it work better usually? No. Right, that's right. They move things around, so it's kind of a pain. So upgrades don't feel like a good thing. I'm kind of disappointed that apparently my husband decided to walk out of the room for a second because he would be really great at this. So Paul works with computers that operate big heating and cooling systems in factories and hospitals and museums and stuff like that. And there's something that he describes happening frequently, which is that certain um, contracts that they have do not upgrade their systems. And you can limp along without upgrading your system for a little while, but eventually your system becomes obsolete. It stops working. And then there isn't the technology to fix it. Um, and so a lot of times Paul ends up working with companies that didn't 
upgrade in a timely fashion and they have such an old system that not only does it not work, but there is no way to make it work. There's nothing else out there that will connect with it to help it work. And so then it costs these people a ton of money to um, get their system up to speed. And some places it's really important that this, that their heating and cooling work properly. Um, I had also, sometimes the, the physical thing itself doesn't work very well. So my first um, laptop, no, my first Apple laptop, MacBook, I got in the early 2000s. And I thought it was fantastic. And that was when Apple named their operating systems after Wildcats. I liked those names. Now they name them after natural landmarks out west that I've never seen before. And so I can't remember. I think my computer just upgraded to Sonoma. I don't know. I don't remember what it was before. Anyway, um, so I loved my, little, my first little MacBook. I just loved it. But as it got older, it started running slower, even when I upgraded the system. And the casing itself, the battery started swelling. And so then the whole, the keys wouldn't work right. And so sometimes you need an upgrade, right? The, the internal stuff isn't working, and the external stuff isn't working, and the whole thing is a mess. So the Apostle Paul obviously does not use the term upgrades in this passage because they didn't have that concept back then. But in Philippians 3, 12 through 21, he's basically telling the Philippians, the, these Philippian Christians, about his own experience of upgrading from Paul 2.0 to Jesus eternity point eternity and encouraging them to get the upgrade too. And we kind of jump into the middle um, in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this. All what? <laughs> the upgrade, exactly. So um, just usually I ask a really specific question, and understandably, not everybody remembers. Um, so I'm going to just say, for, for the last couple of weeks, what are some of the things that we have been talking about? Anything, whatever comes to mind. What's that? Lifeboats. Okay, that was even before this, but that it has applied. Besides shine like the stars in the universe. <laughs> Yes, thank you. Unity and imitating Christ. Perfect. I knew you guys could do this. <coughs> okay, so last week, Paul was talking about his identity as a Jewish person, and he kind of implied that he was the perfect Jewish person. But then he said even his perfection as a Jewish person, as a Pharisee who knew the Bible inside and out and who... Um, obeyed the law and was super zealous, even that identity was rubbish, or worse, in comparison with his identity in Jesus. In verse t verses 10 and 11, if you'll remember, he said, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, 
so this is where we're, we're coming in. Paul may have arrived as a specimen of the chosen people of God, but he hasn't, as he's saying now, arrived at his goal of becoming like Jesus. I really like with what Ron had to share. I think total commitment is the aim of a Christian. But I actually think that for Paul, the goal isn't just commitment, but Jesus himself. Jesus is the goal. Becoming like Jesus is the goal. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And we need total commitment. If Jesus is our goal, he's the full package. So we need total commitment to get there. N.T. Wright, um, I like the message translation. Actually, I should have used that one. But I have a, a little bit of an alternate translation or paraphrase from N.T. Wright also. He says, these first couple of verses, I'm not implying that I've already received resurrection or that I've already become complete and mature. No, I'm hurrying on, eager to overtake it because King Jesus has overtaken me. And he says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. There is a whole new operating system that we have when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And so we're leaving the old ones behind. My grandmother, I used to have a Juno email address. Anybody remember Juno? So I had this Juno email address, and I liked Juno, and then it stopped working very well, and so I switched to Gmail. Well, my grandmother never switched. I'm pretty sure she was the last person on the planet who continued to have a Juno email address, and she could not figure out why it didn't work anymore. She was not willing to leave the old one behind. <laughs> we all have operating systems that we have been functioning in our whole lives, and then when Jesus comes along and the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, he's saying, I'm giving you a new one. Leave that other one. Take it out. Stop using it. Don't use that one. Don't let your past mistakes or your failures or your baggage or your selfishness or the ways that you figured out to control your own life, leave them over there. Close down your Juno account. There is no support network for that anymore. Come and take my operating system. Don't let this old stuff hold you back. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The prize is Christ Jesus. Being fully in fellowship with Christ Jesus and being like Christ Jesus. And then we get to verse 15, which I actually find sort of funny. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. I'm mature. If you're not quite thinking along the lines of me, it's okay. God will show you. It could sound a little condescending, but he's actually right. Paul has already emphasized, as you mentioned, how important it is to be united to each other in Jesus by the Holy Spirit. We discussed months back, but this year, about Abraham and Jacob, and we watched how their faith kind of went through stages, right? It started in one place, and then they, as they continued to walk with God, they matured, and they changed in their 
approach to God and also their approach to life and other people. And that is normal. That is how people operate in connection with God. So Paul isn't wrong here. Maturity is not something that we just automatically have. We don't ask Jesus into our hearts and then suddenly we're mature. We know everything and we, we just think exactly like Jesus and we know exactly how the world works and we, we just get it all. No. Maturity, as Christians, means that we experience, we don't just in our heads believe that Jesus is who he says he is, but we experience him as the ultimate goal, the ultimate prize, the ultimate joy. We, our hearts and our minds and our lives are pointed toward Jesus. He's, he is what we're going for. But mostly, even when we ask Jesus into our hearts, most of us don't start there. We don't start off thinking, Jesus is all that. <clears throat> we don't even need the bag of chips. He's all that, and that is all I'm going for. He's my focus. Forget everything else. Most of us don't start there. Usually, we come to Jesus for other reasons, and they're good reasons, but they're kind of intermediate reasons. Good things that Jesus can do for us or accomplish in us or provide for us, but they're not necessarily Jesus himself. Like Good things like forgiveness or provision or security or, you know, salvation. And so Paul is saying, if you are mature in Jesus, you're moving on from that first place where you needed something, um, a good thing, and Jesus was able to provide it for you. But if you're mature in him, you will also, you won't just want the things that Jesus can provide, but you will also want him, himself. So fully and so intimately that you're even wanting to share in his sufferings as well as his power and glory, as well as the good things that he provided for you. He will be your greatest joy, and you, like me, says Paul, will expend every bit of energy that you have in your life pursuing him as your prize. Everything in your life will point toward him. But... This is what verse 15 means. But if you're not there yet, God will get you there. Just make sure you're actually living in the stage of faith that you're in. The way that N.T. Wright translates that section of that verse is, only let's be sure to keep in line with the position we have reached. I have heard this week, but also throughout the course of my life, and I've even said this a few times, uh, people saying, I do not understand how this group of people can consider themselves Christians when they don't read the Bible this way or they don't do this thing that is clearly spelled out in the Bible to do. It really doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum of Bible belief or politics or really anything. Um, it is possible to say that about how, I don't understand how this group of people can call themselves Christians because they do this, or they don't do this. And I think that Paul is sort of talking about this here. He's saying, look, we all come to Jesus from different points, 
And there is a way that God wants us to live. But we don't, any of us get to that full way automatically right away. So you're going to have differences. In, in a church like this, there is a probably roughly majority view. But we don't all think the same about cer- certain social issues or even theological issues. We don't. And actually, that's great. There are a lot of churches out there that will try to make everybody think exactly the same about everything, and that is not what Jesus designed his people to be. So, but the point is, we are each of us pursuing Jesus as our ultimate goal, and Jesus will get us to the place that we need to be, if that's what we're doing. There's a, I don't know how many of you have heard the expression, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So in discipleship, it is the sincerest form of flattery, but it's more than flattery. Imitating Jesus is the surest way of cooperating with the Holy Spirit and being transformed. If we practice, we'll get there. A really cynical way of saying it, but this is also true, is fake it till you make it. If you are trying to act like Jesus, trying to think like Jesus, trying to express Jesus in your life, then eventually you'll get there, because that's what the Holy Spirit wants, and he's going to help. In verse 17, Paul says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So Paul is has already admitted, he's like, I'm not there yet, I haven't fully achieved maturity in Christ, but I am working on it, I am imitating Jesus, and there are other people out there, I like, I forget how the message put it, but I liked the way the message expressed this verse, Um, just pay attention to the other people who are following Jesus, keep an eye on them, because they're trying to imitate Jesus, and and they give you a living example of what that is like. Rand, do we have the slide? Is it in there? No? It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. Some of you have seen this. I posted it in the church family page. The picture of, it says, Paul. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And there's the picture of Aslan from the Narnia movie. And then there's the picture of the Lion King. And then there's the picture of this little cartoon lion. <laughs> and so, so Christ is, is the, the true lion, and then Paul is kind of looking like a lion, and then there's a little cartoon lion, and that's me. <laughs> but we all are in those stages. Paul is saying, just live in the stage that you are. Keep in line with the position you have reached. But don't just hang out there. Don't be content just staying there. Strain forward in the race like Paul does, or like other mature Christians around you that you can watch and imitate. So here's a question. Why can we not just stay in the position we've reached? We're saved. Why not just stay there? Okay, do you need to go somewhere? Yeah, if you want to follow Jesus. Jesus is usually going somewhere. 
So we need to keep. <laughs> no. Um, we don't want to stay in the position that we have reached for a similar reason why we don't want to stop upgrading our systems. This is not about earning our salvation. This goes back to what Paul said earlier about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We need to, as this Paul expressed it the other week, treat our salvation with the respect it deserves. We have been saved by Jesus Christ at great cost, and we didn't have to do anything to earn it. We don't. We never have to. And we were saved to express the life of God in the world. And if we're not growing in that, if we're just say, camping out and saying, okay, I'm just going to hunker down until I get to heaven because I don't have to do anything, then we are not working out our salvation. We are not expressing our salvation. We are not treating our salvation with the respect it deserves. And Paul also shows what happens if we just stay put, if we don't strain towards Jesus. Verse 18, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. He could be talking about non-Christians, but in the context of this whole letter and what he's talking about right now, I think he's talking about people who claim to follow Jesus who have just said, I'm saved, just going to wait till I go to heaven. I'm going to keep living in my old operating system. I'm not going to install any upgrades. Just going to just going to keep going until the battery on my MacBook explodes. <laughs> the frozen chosen, yeah. Um, many, he's saying this with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Can you live as an enemy of the cross of Christ if you have accepted Christ? Maybe, remember the people back at the beginning of Philippians that Paul was talking about who were preaching the gospel insincerely? And he was like, it's okay because the gospel is being preached, but it's not really okay for those people. Verse 19, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. It is possible to claim to be a Christian, to have all the right answers, to have all the information, to act super religious, and still be tied to the stuff that we've talked about in the previous weeks, our physical needs, our addictions, our, our heritage even, our ethnicity, our, our other markers of identity. Paul doesn't want these Philippians, who he likes so much, who he knows Jesus enjoys so much, to settle for less than Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Anything else besides Jesus is less than that. And it is part of the old operating system. Even if we're saved, we can get stuck in the things of the world. 
where we used to find our identity. Many live, he says, but, in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship isn't tied to this stuff down here. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Some people worship their appetites. Some people don't want anything more than earthly things. But our citizenship, says Paul, is in heaven. We should set our sights higher because we can. We don't have to be stuck here. We don't have to be tied down to the stuff down here that holds us back, that controls us, even if we think we have control over it. We can set our sights higher because we have a Savior from heaven who wants us to be reconciled to God and to each other, who wants us to be free from slavery to the things that hold us back and, to, uh, and from the slavery to the unhealed, unresurrected world. We eagerly await a Savior from there, he says, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. One day, everybody, we are going to be fully upgraded. Not just our mindset, not just our attitudes, not even just our behaviors will be like Jesus, but our bodies will be like Jesus' glorious resurrected body. We're getting new ones. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like my battery is about to explode. First, we upgrade our desires by the Holy Spirit's help from earthly things to things that Jesus can accomplish and provide for us to Jesus himself, the ultimate prize. And then, as our desires upgrade, our way of life upgrades. It starts to become less religious and legalistic and more like Jesus. Remember, we were always talking about what would Jesus do if he were you? That is the upgrade of our way of living. Then one day, when Jesus returns and restores this world with his resurrection power, we will have upgraded bodies too, glorious like his. All because we have a Savior who was willing to put his godness aside his identity with God aside, make himself a nobody who was tortured and killed on a cross and allowed his father to raise him up to the highest place. We can follow him all the way there. But we start at the cross. And so we're going to celebrate communion together. Let's pray and sing and then celebrate the feast. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, who came and gave himself completely for us and who wants us completely so that we can be resurrected and glorify him. We pray that we will be especially attuned to you and your presence with us today as we take the bread and the cup and as we live out our lives, continuing to press forward toward the prize who is Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Let's sing our communion hymn together.